Welcome to the Shepherd's Chapel Network Family Bible Study Hour with Pastor Arnold Murray. Wisdom is understanding God's Word. Pastor Murray's unique teaching approach brings God's Word alive with meaning as he takes you on a chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse study of God's letter to you, the Bible. And now here is Pastor Arnold Murray. Good day to you. God bless you. Say welcome to the Shepherd's Chapel. Welcome to this family Bible study. Are you ready to get back in our Father's Word, Book of Revelation? Revelation means to reveal the great um, uh, revealing. The, the prime of the word, actually, in whichever language you wish to take it, is to take the cover off, whereby you can see and understand. Don't you ever, ever let some pastor tell you that the book of Revelation is not to be understood when the very meaning of the title means to uncover or to make known. We are in that point where John, with, our, with Jesus Christ instructing him, speaking to the seven churches. Seven means spiritual completeness, and the titles of these churches mean basically nothing. It's the content of what they're teaching that is important. And the lesson, the spiritual lesson for you to gain from it is that only two churches out of the seven please Christ. The others have big problems. So if your church isn't teaching what those two churches that Christ is pleased with, you're kind of in a heap of hurt. I would remind you again in verse 10 of chapter 1 that John was taken to the Lord's Day, which means the first day of the millennium, and showing things that would happen following and just before. That's just before the end. Therefore, it's important that you do that or you're never going to understand the book of Revelation. That's simple. And then we have Christ appears and he's got seven stars and seven candlesticks. But he was good enough in the last verse of that first chapter to say, hey, the stars are the angels I'm going to send to each of the churches and the candlesticks are the churches. There's, no, there's nothing there to be understood other than uh, Christ uses symbolism and the symbolism forms an analogy such as, well, why is a church a candlestick? It sheds light. It should, or its light's gone out, and it's worthless. But a true church should shed light, and it should be the light of Christ, not the traditions of men. So, and we completed uh, in chapter 2 down to verse 18, we're about to start another church. It happens to be one of them he's not all that pleased with. Chapter 2, verse 18, a word of wisdom from our Father, come with me to the first day of the millennium and let John show you what the churches were doing just before the end. Verse 18 reads, chapter 2, Revelation, and unto the angel of the church of Thyatira uh, write, these things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. In other words, in his um, translated body, uh, there he is, that, that shining that he showed up with on, on the Mount of Transfiguration, <clears throat> showing the world that he is Christ. Verse 19, he speaks to this church. I know thy works, at least they do work, and charity, 
and service and faith and thy patience. Those are good signs. And thy works and the last to be more than the first. And the works is what, as, you, as when we get to chapter 14, verse 13, you'll find out works is the only thing you can take with you when you die. And the, your righteous um, robe is woven together from your righteous acts. You got righteous acts, you'll have a good robe. You got no righteous acts, you're naked. That's not a good sign. Okay. So here he speaks to them in that wise, verse 20, notwithstanding, besides all that, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, she claims to be she claims to be a preacher, claims to know a lot of Bible, just got it down pat, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication. In other words, she teaches them to follow the Antichrist. This is why Jesus would say in Mark 13, many will come in my name, meaning they're going to claim to be Christian preachers but don't let them deceive you. And to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And this, this is not the Jezebel of old history. This is the Jezebel you will read of in, in uh, Revelation chapter 17, riding that scarlet colored beast. It is the Christian world and the rest of the world that whore after the false Christ, thinking he is Jesus. And and the sad part is, is they use religion to drive people into that. This is why that Christ would say, in other words, you are told by many religions, you don't have to understand Revelation, you're going to be gone. When the word rapture is not even in the Bible, it's not in the manuscripts, I don't care what some man might tell you the Latin says, the Hebrew and the Greek leave out the word rapture. It's not there. But quite the contrary, what does she teach then? Well, you know what? God warned you about it a long, long time ago. And uh, I'm, you're not going to have it, but I feel led to take you there anyway. It's in Ezekiel chapter 13. And uh, he says there, uh, concerning uh, his people. He says in verse 4 of chapter 13, concerning this Jezebel, O Israel, thy prophets are like the foxes in the desert. They knock off the little blooms of truth where you never get the truth exactly. You have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge of the house of Israel to stand in the battle day of the Lord, in the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is where we're at. Don't ever let anybody tell you this is past history. It doesn't happen till the day of the Lord. They have seen vanity and lying divination, saying, The Lord saith, and the Lord hath not sent them. And they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word. They claim to be prophetess, claim to be preachers. Have you not seen a vain vision? And have you not spoken a lying divination, whereas you say the Lord saith it, and albeit I have not spoken? God said, I didn't send them. They're lying to you. He goes on a little bit further, and he says in the 18th verse of that 13th chapter of Ezekiel, and say thus, 
And thus saith the Lord God, Woe to the women that sew pillows to all armholes and make kerchiefs upon the head of every stature to hunt souls. Will you hunt the souls of my people? And will you save the souls alive that, sh that uh, come unto you? Do, you? do you think you can provide? Only God can provide salvation. Now, <clears throat> this loses in the translation. And, and if you have a, an NIV Bible, all of these verses that I'm about to read are changed to where you got birds flying. I mean, they took the truth and just trashed it, which is a sad situation. The word armholes here in the Hebrew is joints, knuckles. What God is saying, you sew pillowcases or coverings, kerchiefs, over my outreach saving knuckles, my hand, to save people and try to tell them you know a better way to salvation. God didn't send them. You want to listen to them, you do it. Most of you that study with me have Strong's Concordances. I insist that you um, check out the, the word armholes here and know that it's knuckles, fingers, phalanges, and it's God's that they're covering. Verse 19, And will you pollute me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread for money? to slay the souls that should not die, to save the souls alive that should not live by your lying to my people that hear your lies. You don't have to understand God's word. You're going to be gone. You're going to fly out of here. Verse 20, verse, listen carefully. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against. If God is against something, you're in a heap of hurt. Okay. I am against your pillows wherewith you there hunt the souls to make them fly, rapture. And I will tear them from your arms and will let the souls go, even the souls that you hunt to make them fly. Your kerchiefs also will I tear, rip them up and deliver my people out of your hand and they shall be no more in your hand to be hunted for you shall know that I am the Lord. I'm the Savior. I'm the one that saves, not you, not lying hypocrites. Now, never judge anyone, but at the same time, if someone tries to point out to you and has the nerve to say, you don't have to understand God's word, listen to me. You know, you would be a sick puppy if you allowed some man to put himself over the word of God. You, I, I don't really know that there would be hope for you if you didn't have a big attitude adjustment. Our Heavenly Father created you just like you are. Your, your DNA is different. Your fingerprints are different. He wanted someone just like you, unique. But He wants you to love Him because that gives Him pleasure. I don't know, how long has it been since you told Him you loved Him? How long has it been since you really studied God's Word to know what his feelings are, what his wishes are. So beware the Jezebel, my friend, that claims to be a church, that claims to be prophets, knows what tomorrow brings. You don't have to worry. Listen to me. God's saying, it'll put you in a heap of hurt. And like I said, it, when we get to the 17th chapter, you'll learn exactly who this, who this is speaking of. 
and um, uh, those that like to listen to her lies. Verse 21, returning to chapter 2 of the great book of Revelation. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication. And she repented not, just kept teaching that same old malarkey. Verse 22, behold, I, that's emphatic, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. That's the apostasy that's coming, sending the false Christ first, and that's the bed of fornication. You're supposed to spiritually wait and be a virgin for a great wedding with the true Christ. I don't know, don't, don't be deceived. Christ is saying here, I myself will send deception if you want to believe it. Do you know where he said this again? He said it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He said, if you want to believe that lie, I'll help you out. I'll send you strong delusion. Believe God's word and let the traditions of men that make God's word void fall by the wayside. Repent, stay with the plan of Almighty God and the simplicity in which he teaches you in this great book of Revelation. Verse 23, and I will kill her children with death. They're, they're going to be spiritually dead. This doesn't mean a physical death. Spiritually dead. Why? Because they believe in the false Christ. False teachings. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. I'm a mind reader. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. In other words, you're going to get everything you got coming to you all at one time. This frightens many people. I look forward to that time. I want a reward. Okay? Because judgment is a reward for those that serve God, that love Him, and that teach truth. And those that follow truth. Judgment Day is a wonderful thing, and you're going to have nothing but reward coming for that love from our Heavenly Father. But those that go astray, uh, there's some sad news for you. Those that lead them, the sad news is they're going to be corrected. The sad news is those that led them astray are probably on a quick trip to hell. Everything they got coming to them, they get it in one day. If you have, if you have deceived God's children, you're in a heap of hurt. When you teach God's Word, teach it as God has recorded it, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, instead of traditions of men. Verse 24, But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. And so it is that, uh, uh, do you know the depths of Satan? Do you know his children? And, and um, the fact that he does come, he does deceive. Christ taught it again. Christ taught it in, in John, St. John chapter 8, verse 44. He said, I know you claim to be Abraham's children, which being translated means the father of many nations. But you don't, you don't do those deeds. You do the deeds of your father who was a murderer in the beginning. 
Well, now that's difficult, isn't it? Who was the first murderer? Well, it was Cain, of course. And Kenites are the false ones placed on earth by Satan himself, whereby he could operate and have the deception and, and uh, prepare his seat. And God allows it. Why? To see who loves him and who's going to love Satan. That's what this earth age is about. Satan rebelled in the first earth age. God chose to destroy that earth age and cause each entity to be born innocent of woman to make their mind up. Are you going to follow God or are you going to follow Satan? And he makes it so simple a child can understand it concerning the parable of the tares. That's why Christ uses parables. And he, he said, leave the tares alone. They look just like the wheat growing. But when seed comes, they are black and bitter and poisonous rather than the rich golden grain of wheat that we make bread from. And Christ is that bread of life, the true bread. But the disciples couldn't even understand that. And they would say, and th this is a secret that has been kept secret from the foundations of the world as it is written in, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 35. Okay. But listen to the words of Jesus concerning that seed of Satan, concerning Satan's way. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came unto him saying, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. We don't get it. Don't, don't speak in a parable. Just lay it out for us. And he answered and he said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. In other words, the good wheat and the, the field is the world. Well, let, let's let him explain it. 38, the field is the world, this world age. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now, how, how many wicked ones do we have? One head, Satan, of course, the devil. Verse 39, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. And so it is that the uh, tares are gathered and cast into the flaming fire. Now, <clears throat> it is very possible that a Kenite, which that's simply a Hebrew word that means the sons of Cain, even if they love the Lord Jesus Christ, they are no longer children of the wicked one, but children of God. Salvation is for whomsoever will. At the same time, this deception, this falseness that is fostered upon the world for those that choose to believe the so-called prophets that God did not send without checking them out in a letter that your father sent to you. It's a letter of love. Have you read it? You know, if somebody writes you a letter of love and it's as close, the nearest relative you got, like our Heavenly Father, I would think that you would have read it, you know. Otherwise, it's going to hurt his feelings because he pleads with you and warns you. This is why he sets up this letter to the seven churches, two of them pleasing to God. You better be in a church that teaches what those two teach because it's very plain and obvious where a child can understand. Returning to chapter 2, and let's pick, uh, let's pick it up if we may with the next verse, would be verse 25. 
But that which you have already hold, that which you already have, that which you have already hold fast till I come. In other words, if you have that knowledge and, and so forth, don't mix in with those that follow the false teaching. 26, and he that overcometh and keepeth my works, not Satan's, my works, unto the end, all the way to the end, to him will I give power over the nations. That strength, not to be deceived, but to have that power. 27, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. That's to say Jesus Christ. He's coming back this time, not as a babe to be crucified, but as king of kings and lord of lords, and he will rule with that rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. In other words, there's a day of correction coming. I think you can sense from this he's a little bit upset because they've done this to his children. If somebody did this to one, you know, our father has love and emotions just like anyone else. If someone pulled one of your children off to the side and filled them full of hypocrisy and lies about you and pulled them away from you, I think you'd be a little upset about it too. I think that's human nature. And God is supernatural, more natural than all of us. Now, our Heavenly Father, uh, He doesn't like that. Now listen carefully. Verse 28, And I will give him the morning star. Do you know what this really means? It means I will give you the truth of the morning star. You see, within this, he lets you know. Because if you were to go to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, and we're not going to, but you might make a note in your own mind. You see, Satan claims to be the morning star also. So who are you going to believe? It would tell you in in uh, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, how, how art thou fallen, O Lucifer? How art, art thou as we? Uh, Lucifer, what, what does Lucifer mean in the Hebrew tongue? Morning star. Every name that Christ possesses, Satan copies. Christ is called um, Christ, Satan instead of Christ. Christ is called the morning star, Satan called the morning star also. But did you notice he said, if you will stick with it, if you'll learn the truth, if you'll read my letter as it is written, I will give you the truth of that morning star where you know the difference. You know, um, how simple God's word is and how men like to twist it and turn it. And it continues on in that Isaiah chapter 14 and declares Satan is going to be cast into the abyss, the pit. And then it's written in that 14th chapter that all people during the millennium, and that's, that's what we're reading up here is just before and after the first day of the millennium. During the millennium, they walk up to the edge of that abyss and look in in Isaiah chapter 14 and say, is this the man that deceived the world? He's called a man. The Hebrew word is ish in the Hebrew manuscripts. He claims to be really something. 
but he's a failure. He's a dead man walking. Why would you follow someone like that? Or why would you listen to some ratchet jaw that would lead you astray away from these scriptures of truth, the simplicity in which Christ brings it forth? Again, I'll say it. I know it upsets some where a child can understand it, but you would let someone deceive you into a bit of fornication, spiritually speaking. You know, this is why Jesus uses analogies that you can feel and understand. This is why in Mark 13 and in Matthew 24, he says, Woe to you that are with child when I return. What he's speaking of is a spiritual impregnation so that you could understand his feelings. In other words, he is our husband and he has been away for 2,000 years. If he comes home and finds you with a cradled baby and nursing it, what does that mean? It means you were untrue. And that's what Christ is talking about. Nursing it along means you weren't only deceived by Satan, but you're nursing along his religion, his work. It is common that many people like to serve God, and they truly think he is God. Only he's the deceiver, and you do not want to fall into that lot. What a terrible end to be a Christian all your life and want to do what is right and to allow some ratchet jaw to mislead you, sowing cases over the real truth of God's Word, His outreach knuckles, phalanges of salvation to save you, come to me, children and steer you in a different direction, and you would allow that? I think not. I think you want to serve him. I think you want him to give you that morning star, meaning the truth whereby you're never deceived. Verse 29, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Do you have ears to hear? Do you have eyes to see? That's very important. When Christ adds that, that statement, it means I'm talking to you. I'm talking real simple, right down where the rubber meets the road. Do you have ears to hear what I'm saying? Chapter 3 and verse 1, And unto the church, that's the one church you don't want to be a part of, okay? Chapter 3, verse 1, And unto the angel of the church of Sardis, here comes another church, right these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The seven stars are the angels sent to the churches. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and are dead. You're spiritually deader than a hammer. This was a place of, of much uh, commerce and, and the old mother of the... Of the uh, so-called um, heaven was dwelt there. Verse 2, be watchful. You are watchmen, watch. And strengthen the things which remain that are all, already to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Not happy. You don't want to belong to this church. Well, what was that, Sardis? Who, does, who is that? It's what they teach the false one. 
Verse 3, remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come unto thee. That hour he comes is the hour of temp just following the hour of temptation. You don't want to be tempted at that time. The hour of temptation is when Satan himself appears as the false messiah and tries to tempt people. We don't find him tempting. We find him to be an abomination. Verse 4, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And here we begin to see a sign of what those white robes are made up from. Verse 5, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. In other words, your name is in that book of life. It's a fantastic book. Do, do you know what is, do you know something else? That your name is not only in that book, but all the things you have done, good and bad, that you have not repented of are there also. They're written. That's where your letter, you can't put your letter in some church here on earth and have it mean anything necessarily. Your letter is in heaven, and Father keeps books, not man. And when you sin, it goes in the book, but when you repent, it's erased. But the good that you do remains. Good acts cover a multitude of sins, makes up for it. You want to take something real serious about this, being blotted out. Ooh, what does that mean? It means exactly what it says. Those that do not overcome, they're going to be blotted out. They're going to be removed from the book of life because they're dead. Not only dead flesh, the second death, which is death of the soul, they're gone forever. They're blotted out like they never existed. You, you don't want that. Not when the beautiful time with our Heavenly Father opens at that same time and we move into the eternity in a beautiful, wonderful world restored back to its original place where we don't have earthquakes, we don't have jet streams. The firmament moves back to protect this earth where it was before it fell. And what a wonderful place this earth is when God himself returns to this earth at the end of the millennium, the full Godhead de, de jure, to rule and reign and for the eternity. You don't want to be blotted out. Therefore, do as God would have you do in these churches, analyze it. Well, what do we have to go by yet? You've only got one church we've covered that he was pleased with, and, and um, that was the church of Smyrna, because they knew those that claimed to be of our brother Judah and did lie and were the synagogue of Satan, lying to people. Does your church teach that? If it doesn't, God's not pleased with it. 
We'll have one more church. It's the next one after this. It's called the Church of Philadelphia. It's a church of brotherly love. Do you know what that church teaches? Those that claim to be of our brother Judah and do lie and are the synagogue of Satan. Does your church teach that? Then if it doesn't, you're kind of in a heap of hurt. You need to stick with what Jesus finds pleasing. What pleases God if you want his blessings, if you want his knowledge, if you want um, to be a true child of God, you will listen. In the next lecture, we will go right into that church of Philadelphia, the, the second church and only this, the first and second that Christ was pleased with out of these seven. It gives you a good roadmap to what pleases God. I would think that you would want to please him. I would think that's just human nature. Don't miss that next lecture. Bless your heart. You listen a moment. Won't you please? The Mark of the Beast on CD is our free introductory offer to you. What is the Mark of the Beast? Many false teachers would have you believe it will be a tattoo on your forehead or a computer chip implanted under your skin. It is getting late in the game. You need to know what the mark of the beast is. As it's written in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, many will be deceived. There is no need for you to be deceived. Christ said in Mark 13, 23, Behold, I have foretold you all things. Jesus indeed told us how not to be deceived, and Pastor Arnold Murray takes you on a step-by-step -step study of God's Word concerning this critical subject, the mark of the beast. The telephone call is free. The CD is free. We don't even ask for the shipping and handling. It is free as well. All you need to do is call 800-643-4645 to request your one-time, one-per-household copy of the mark of the beast. You may also request your free CD by mailing your request to Shepherd's Chapel, Post Office Box 416, Gravit, Arkansas, 72736. Don't be deceived by Satan. And there we are back again. Let's have the 800 number, please. 1-800-643-4645. That number is good from Puerto Rico, throughout the U.S., Alaska, Hawaii, all over Canada. If the spirit moves and you have a question, you share it. Once you do that, please never ask a question about a particular reverend, denomination or organization. We do not judge people. Absolutely do not. We have one judge. That's our Father. You have the right to, to spiritually discern who you want to fellowship with, who you want to associate with, but don't judge. That gets on our Father's toes, okay? At this time it would. And so... Make sure you don't ask a question that would put us in a position of judgment because we won't do it. Our Father is that judge. Those of you that listen by shortwave around the world, it's always a pleasure hearing from you. And your announcer at the end of the hour will give you our mailing address. Now, you got a prayer request. You don't need that number. You don't need an address. Why? God's a heart knower. He knows what you're thinking. You don't even have to say it out loud. And he has time for you. You're one of his own. You know, he may not love what you do, but he does love you. That's why he created you for his pleasure. Documentation, the last verse in chapter 4 of the great book of Revelation we're now in. For his pleasure. So let him know you love him. It pays great dividends. It pleases him. And when you please him, he's going to please you. Let's go to his throne. Father, around the globe we come. We ask that you lead, guide, direct, Father touch in Yeshua's precious name. Thank you, Father. 
Amen. Okay, question time. Jacob from Kentucky. Pastor Murray, can you explain the difference between translated and transliterated? Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, let's say that to translate is simply to take from one language and translate that alphabet into the alphabet of the language you're translating it to. To transliterate is to uh, ignore the alphabet and take the meaning of the word in that language and translate it to the meaning of the word in the language you're translating into. Example, Moses. Moses, of course, we're all familiar with him. But it is only translated. You don't know what Moses means in English from that. But in the Hebrew tongue, Moses being transliterated, that means the meaning translated also means drawn from the water. Because that's where he that's where he got his name when his folks put him into the Nile River and let him go along out there in that little basket and drifted into Pharaoh's place and they drew him from the river and called him Moses. So that's the difference between translated and transliterated. This is why that many times you will find as we study, I will translate and then transliterate so that you have a better understanding of the manuscripts. Kathy from uh, Montana, I'd like to know what the mark of the beast is. Well, where is it? Well, it's in your forehead. What is in your forehead? Your brain. So the, if your brain is marked, that is to say, if you're deceived, then you already have that mark. If, if you have listened to false teachers and you're willing to accept the first Messiah that appears on this earth soon, it'll be in this generation of the fig tree, then you're in a heap of hurt. You've already got the mark in your forehead. Well, what about in your hand? It means it's the same thing with giving nurse, as I mentioned with being spiritually impregnated. To receive his mark in your hand means you're going to pitch in and help his church. Hey, let me volunteer in your church and do a little work here for you. That's when they are against Almighty God and you're helping them out, that's bad news. But that's what it means. It is a thing, you know, they could, many, many people are going to teach you, they're going to tattoo 666 on your forehead. Now, that is so silly that do you think Satan is that stupid? He's not. They're not going to tattoo. If, For example, if you're a true Christian and you love the Lord God Almighty, they could tie you up and tattoo you from head to toe with 666, and it would not change the fact that you loved Almighty God and were a true servant. Marks don't have anything to do with it unless they're in your forehead, which is your thought process, and you are deceived and worship the false Christ. That is the mark of the beast. Incidentally, I have, that's the only free tape we have here at the chapel is the Mark of the Beast. If you've never had it and want to request it, it is yours. James from Virginia. Are Cain and Abel the sons of Adam? You 
let the Bible answer the question for you. You have Cain's genealogy separate from Adam's. You will not find Cain in Adam's genealogy. Let me tell you where to go and check it out. Go to chapter 5 in the great book of Genesis, meaning in the beginning. You will find that Adam's genealogy begins, Abel it was, was slain, so he's not there. There was no progeny. You will not find Cain in Adam's genealogy because Cain was not a child of Adam. Okay. Cain was a child of exactly who Christ taught you he was in St. John chapter 8, verse 44. This is why the first prophecy in the Bible concerning the outcome between Satan and Christ is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, where God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between thy seed, that's the serpent's seed, and the woman's seed. You will bruise his heel, meaning you're going to nail him to the cross, but he's going to bruise your head, and that's, that's going to happen yet. Uh, Susie from Ohio, question, in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, it states we may die or are beaten or imprisoned for God's sake. I, and I thought that not a hair on our heads could be touched or hurt. Does that just mean Satan just can't destroy souls but can destroy our earthly bodies? He cannot, he will not touch your earthly body, but he will destroy your soul if you allow it. That's what he's after. Always remember this. As it is written in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation, Satan comes in prosperously and peacefully. He doesn't come in tearing stuff up. He doesn't come in destroying the world. I mean, it is just the opposite. He's like the lamb slaying. Peace, peace, peace. And people just swarm, they will, it, as you're going to find out in this book of Revelation, the whole world whores after him unless you happen to have the truth. And so it is. And as it is written in Luke 21, he can't harm a hair on your head. What it means is you're going to be delivered up before death. Well, who's death? Make a note of it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Christ came to this earth to destroy death, which is to say the devil. The devil is death, and you're certainly delivered up before him, but we can cut it. we got power over him. Don't ever let somebody see you sweat on your first cruise. You're a child of God. Act like it. Marilyn from Texas. What is the difference between the Holy Spirit and the conscience and Ezekiel 13:7? Have you not a vain vision, and have you not spoken a lying divination, whereas you say the Lord saith it, albeit I have not spoken? Isn't that ironic that I read this to you earlier in the lecture? It's Ezekiel 13 concerning sowing kerchiefs over my saving hands. The difference between the Holy Spirit and your conscience is the Holy Spirit and your spirit, for your conscience is your thought process, which is your spirit. Every person has their own spirit. You can use that spirit for good, or you can find somebody that's got a bad spirit. They're evil. And it's not a very pretty sight. And, and uh, so your conscience is your inner thought. Your spirit is the intellect of your soul. 
but your soul is your very being, your life. And whichever body you're in, whether it's a spiritual body or the flesh body, your soul, I like to translate it self, yourself is in that body and it transfers from one to the other as, as the, the flesh dies, the soul goes immediately, the spirit body steps out, soul with it, okay? Uh, Pastor uh, Marilyn from Colorado. My daughter doesn't believe babies have a soul at conception. Well, she's, she's wrong. The Bible states so. You need to go to Luke chapter 1, verse 44 and tell her what, read it to her. Let her know what happens. It's the same day Mary conceived. Conceived Messiah. She ran instantly to her cousin's house. Her cousin was Elizabeth. Elizabeth was a Levite. Mary's was a, father was of Judah, but Mary's mother was a Levite. Therefore, Christ is both of the priest line and the king line, which makes prophecy come to its full month, full fulfillment. But the moment on the day that Mary conceived, as she approached Elizabeth, it wasn't Elizabeth that was aware of the Holy Spirit that was embedded in Mary, but John, who was six months in Elizabeth's womb, leapt as Mary approached, feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit. You might let her know that. You bet a baby has a, a soul and a spirit. Why? They're, it's life. Okay, who do I have here? I have... Pastor Murray, I've been studying with you since 94. I guess I don't have a name. I have a question. My son asked me, do angels have souls? Well, of course they do. This is why God would say to the angels, let us create man in our image, meaning the angelic being's soul is in, you, you were with the Father, and you were in the angelic form, spiritual body. But then when your mother conceived, that soul was placed in that womb. And naturally, angels are people. This is why you, we will read in St. John, I'm mean, in the Revelation here, before we complete it, where John will fall down at the feet of, of a person, an angel, and he'll say, get up, I'm just a fellow servant. We're all the same. Regardless of what body you're in, we're all fellow servants of Almighty God. Uh, Yogesh from Georgia. Since the atheists do not believe in God, how will the Antichrist convince them and others to sincerely, since he cannot read minds, worship and serve him? For example, would not the atheists pretend to worship him just so they can prosper financially during his reign? Yogesh, I think you underestimate the power of the false Christ, <clears throat> his ability to convince. You need to read Mark 13 over again where Christ would say, for when the, not maybe, but the Antichrist shall come, and for the elect's sake, I have shortened the time. He shortened the time from seven years to a five-month period for the false messiah. Otherwise, he says, there would be no flesh saved. That's how convincing he is. 
they will run to him, fall over him, stumble over him when he performs miracles in the sight of people, such as snapping his fingers and lightning come from heaven. They'll go ape over him. And, um, and, and, and as probably an atheist would be begging him for forgiveness that they never believed in God, and he's Satan. And that's what deception will do for you. Don't underestimate the, how well Satan can convince people. Uh, Elaine from Canada, I always thought the angels were of a different makeup um, or substance than the human souls or spirits, but the fallen angels came to earth and had relations with humans, Genesis chapter 6, they did. How could this be? Does it mean in the flesh or in the spirit relationship? What, what kind of, what, what is manna? Well, it's angel's food. You got that right. Where did it come from? It fell from heaven. And as the book of Psalms declares, it's angel's food. Angel's food sustains the angelic body. Angel's food also sustains these flesh bodies. It did 40 years in the wilderness. And, and uh, the manna falling from heaven, food. So we were made in the exact image in this earth age of the, the male was of the angelic being. And can a male impregnate a woman? Of course he can. Well, so could they. Howard from California. I understand the mark of the beast fully. What bothers me are the commandments to come out from among them and be ye separate. You know the reference. How do we do this when we must carry the beast mark or by memory? Uh, the, uh, we're not going to be carrying any mark. And how do we come out from her? It's not talking about physically coming out. You were sent here to help them. It means to come out of them spiritually, stop listening to lies, and come into the truth. That's a separation. You can be standing right next to them and you're still separate. You've got work to do. We're not going to run off somewhere and hide in the woods. You know, a coward dies a thousand deaths. A brave man only dies one time. We have to stand. You can, we have work to do and we're going to do it. And to separate yourself from lies and fiction is to come into the truth regardless of where physically you're standing, geographically and or otherwise, okay? Uh, Jeannie from Texas. Uh, I'm uh, from, Mark, uh, from uh, Texas and I'm 10 years old. My question to you is, did God create aliens from outer space? My mom watches and loves your program every morning. Well, you, you give her a big hug for me. Will you do that, Jeannie? I will appreciate it. Jeannie, let, I, I only can go by what God's Word says. And when you go to Ezekiel chapter 1, it says in verse 4 that this amber-colored vehicle appeared. The word in the Hebrew manuscripts is highly polished bronze. In other words, it was metallic, highly polished, and it was a wheel. In other words, it was a disc. But Ezekiel has to describe this because all he's ever seen a wheel on is a cart. 
And he said, the wheel didn't go by your side like a cartwheel. It, it went like this. It was on its side. It had windows in it, and there were people in it. And every time the vehicle turned, the people turned also, naturally. They'd fall out if they didn't, okay? But he said they, it, they looked not where they went. In other words, he was used to a donkey. When you're going to turn, you turn the head, or a person, you turn, and then, then after you turn, then you, the whole thing goes, okay? He said, but, but this was round, and it just went wherever it wanted to. But who was aboard it? This is answering your question. God in his throne. He's not an alien, okay? They're simply children of God. And, um, and so it is. I know we have a lot of fiction concerning aliens. God created all the beings there are, and they're either in angelic or human form. Uh, it so happened that in those vehicles mentioned in Ezekiel, God and his uh, uh, cabinet, I'll call it, were with him. Uh, Patrick from Illinois. Cain killed Abel and went to live in Nod, where he knew his wife. Where did she come from? Was that his sister? No, of course not. Uh, he didn't have a sister in the land of Nod. What, what most people, unfortunately, most people don't realize in the Hebrew manuscripts that on the sixth day, God created both male and female. That's all the races of the world. He created them on the sixth day. Told some of them to go fish and some of them to go hunt. But then he rested the seventh day and on the eighth day he created in the Hebrew tongue Eth Ha'adam. This is a different man. And named him Adam, which means ruddy complected in the Hebrew tongue. And um, uh, through him would come Christ, which would be the savior of all the races. The races were there, and Cain went to the land of Nod, where the six day, some, some of the six-day creation was, and married one of them. It's, there's no great mystery there. You know, um, many scholars, so-called, have let me know, you teach the six-day creation, and people are going to call you a racist. I teach God's Word unashamedly, and I never apologize for it, there are different races on this earth because God wanted different races. They're exactly the way he created them. That's the way he loves them. That's the way he wants them, period. How could I be called a racist for speaking of God's own beautiful creation? And so it is. You know, the sad part is, is many scholars make up Lilith. As, as a wife Adam had even before Eve to explain other people. And that's a lie. Don't you ever believe that? Uh, and probably many of you have never heard of it to start with, but uh, warning to those that have. Greg from South Carolina, I was wondering if God's elect earned the right to be the elect in the first earth age. Is, there, is that like reincarnation or something? No, it isn't. To... God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe upon him should not die, perish, but have everlasting. That means deathlessness in the Greek tongue. Did never stop existing. From the first earth age here to what will be, nobody has ever stopped existing, even Satan. He's still bound and locked up, being helped by Michael, 
God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Abraham, where is Abraham? Well, if you read the parable Christ taught in Luke 16, you find out that Abraham is right there in paradise. And uh, Lazarus was embracing him. So um, God is the God of the living, not the dead. And I'm out of time again. Hey, I love you all because you enjoy studying our Father's Word. Most of all, God loves you for it. It's a letter he sent to you. And it makes his day. And when you make God's day, boy, is he going to make yours. You can always rest assured of that. He loves you. Return that love to him. We are, we are brought to you by your tithes and offerings. If we've helped you, you help us keep coming to you. Once you do that, you bless God. You know what? He will always bless you. He, he is, um, as he states in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 26, remind me of all the promises I've made to you. Let's talk about them. He knows what they are, but he wants to know if you do. So I can justify you, make it right with you. Talk to him. Most of all, you stay in his word. Every day in his word's a good day, even with trouble. Know why? Jesus is the living word. Hearing God's word with understanding will change your life. We hope you have enjoyed studying God's word here on the Shepherd's Chapel Family Bible Study Hour with Pastor Arnold Murray. If you would like to receive more information concerning Shepherd's Chapel, you may request our free introductory offer. Our introductory offer contains the Mark of the Beast audio tape, our monthly newsletter with a written Bible study, a tape catalog, and a list of written reference works available through Shepherd's Chapel. To request our free introductory offer by telephone, call 800-643-4645, 24 hours a day. You may also request our introductory offer by writing to Shepherd's Chapel, Post Office Box 416, Gravit, Arkansas, 72736. Once again, that's Shepherd's Chapel, Post Office Box 416, Gravit, Arkansas, 72736. We invite you to join us for the next in-depth Bible study each weekday at this same time. Thank you for watching today's program, and God bless you.